this year is sponsored by the Agassi family, the young Agassi family, in honor of the birth of Rivaya Tiferet Sophia Bat Zahava Sara and Ophir. Ophir was a student in the yeshiva, and I think if I, if I remember correctly, I married them. Well, one of the best things I ever did. Okay. The parrot, the, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu, about a certain aspect of the life of Yaakov Avinu. Uh, if you look at the sheet, there's a pasuk in Dvarim. There's a pasuk in Dvarim that says, Tamim tiyeim Hashem alokecha. Now the word tamim, the word tamim is a word which means whole, complete, pure, and many other varieties, right? And the pasuk sounds like a tzivui, a command. You, B'nai Yisrael, you should be tamim im Hashem Elokecha. Now, what that means to us exactly, we have to look first, let's look first at, at Rashi. Rashi is right under the Pasuk. So Rashi says, It doesn't help that bit. Go with God in the Tamim manner, in the manner of Tamim. Bitmimut. Vititspelo. Vititspelo. means to gaze. To look upon, to look upon God, velo tachkor oto, velo tachkor acharatidot, and you should not try to discover what the future will bring before the future. It was this was uh, from the beginning of time, I suppose, one of the uh, one of the purposes of the religious enterprise was to discover what's going to be. And if you know what's going to be, you could protect yourself against it. Like if you know there's going to be an earthquake in Los Angeles, or if you know there's going to be a fire in Northern California, you could get out in time to save yourself. So this idea that you could second guess God was very popular. According to Rashi, Tamim Tiyem Hashem Elokecha, means you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't try to second-guess God, right? Ella, you shouldn't try to figure out what's going to happen. Everything that happens to you, everything happens to you, except it bitmimut, meaning uh, in a naive way. Don't, don't think that you can affect it that you could change it, that you could make something happen that wasn't supposed to happen. And then you're with God. So it sort of says, I think, according to Rashi, that you have to live with dependency upon God. You're not in charge of God, somehow you can't affect the divine position because God's assessment of the situation is so complex and so difficult to follow that it would be impossible. So we, especially I think the Jewish people in history have learned this lesson very, very well. 
Okay? Let's look at the Ramban, or at least some of it, right? The Ramban says, that on the left side is the Ramban, Sheniached levavenu elav levado. Niached, that's, that's from the Hebrew word echad, right? We should kind of devote ourselves to him alone. Vinamin, and we should believe, Shehu levado oseko, that God is responsible for everything. Vuhu hayodea amitat kol atit. Vuhu, God, knows the truth of the future. Only God knows what will be. And we should not put ourselves into that position. Umimenu livado And if we want to know what the future will bring, we have to look towards God. We have to look towards God for that future. God could tell us, for example, Miniviyav, Oman Sheikh God can pass on this information to prophets or to special people who are designated as the messengers of God. What special people? Urim v'tumim, right? Remember that the Kohen Gadol had a breastplate and you could use that to discover the answer to certain kinds of questions. Should we go to war? Should we go to war? Right? Like the question, what should we do about, about Aza? About Aza. So that's Urim v'tumim. You need Urim v'tumim to tell you whether you should go to war. I never understood this when I was younger, but today I understand it better. I see here we are. We have that problem. Should we go to war? Shouldn't we go to war? There's no obvious answer to the question. Probably because it's not clear what the purpose might be. Uh, so, so the Urim Bitumim solved that problem. It was as though God said, certain things I'll let you know, but you have to do it this way. You have to, you have to get the information in, the, in this way. Uh, in the fourth line in the Ramban, after the period, before the wide line. I'm not going to ask this question of people who claim to have access to heaven. We should not depend on them, uh, uh, on whatever they say, on whatever they say. You know that there is a concept uh, in the halacha of Navi Sheker. There's a lying prophet. Now, what is a lying prophet? What, what is a lying prophet? If somebody comes and says, you know, it's going to rain tomorrow. It, it doesn't, I don't have to pay attention to that. It does, what's the, you know, he's not a prophet. He's not a lying prophet. So the Gemara says that a lying prophet, and he names him, we know of at least one lying prophet, a Jew, right, who is a lying prophet. His name is Hananiah ben Azur. Hananiah ben Azur lived at the time of the Churban Bayit Rishon with Yirmiyahu Anavi. To say they were contemporary, right? Contemporaries. So Yirmiyahu Navi, Yirmiyahu Navi said, 
you're going to be punished, the situation is dire, you better improve, you better do something, and if you don't improve, you will be exiled for 50 years. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Yirmiyahu Anavi said. Of course, as we know, nobody paid any attention to Yirmiyahu Anavi, and uh, they continued their ways, and they were exiled by the Babylonians. Right? All of this is like uh, something that reminds you of something that you once learned in school. No. So the Babylonians exiled the Jews, and they were exiled for 50 years. But before, one of the reasons that nobody listened to Yirmiyahu Navi was because there was Hananiah ben Azur, who was a competitive prophet, who said, well, if, even if there is a punishment, and even if you go into exile, it'll only be for two years. So the people, I guess, now I'm making it up, the people said, well, here we have a prophet who says to you, not so bad, not such a terrible punishment, we'll continue to do what we've been doing all the time, because we, we enjoy it. Right, so now why did the people listen to Hananiah ben Azur? That's the question. So the Gemara says, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, around Daf Kuf, Kuf or Kuf Aleph, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that Hananiah ben Azur was really a prophet, and he went bad. And it was the reason that people listened to Hananiah ben Azur was not because his prophecy was appealing to them, but because he was really a prophet. So what happened when he came to B'nai Yisrael and said that he was a prophet? He really was a prophet. And when they said, do a miracle or prove yourself as a prophet, he was able to do it and prove himself. Then something happened. Something happened. He went off. Right? He became uh, a non, uh, a truth-sayer, Hananiah ben Azur. But when he told the people that they would be able to come back to Eretz Yisrael within two years, they, they were happy. Because here was a prophecy against a prophecy. That's what a Navi Sheker is. A lying prophet is not just a person who lies. There are many people who lie, but they're not prophets. In order to be a lying prophet, you have to be a prophet. Right? To be a prophet, there's only one kind of prophet. There's only one kind of Navi, and that's a Navi Emet. So, the Ramban, says, the Ramban says here, don't listen to all those people, even the prophets who have gone bad, right? He says, the first wide line, we should not imagine that what they're going to say, like Hananiah ben Azur, is going to actually happen. But if we hear something that they said, that's what we should say. That it all it, it all depends on God. We don't know. We never know. So this idea, this idea that we have to express dependency upon God, God's will, and that we could never second guess God, because we can't really comprehend the complexities of any reality. That's called tamim. That's called tamim. And that tamim tiyem Hashem Elokecha is a mitzvah. Is a mitzvah. It knows it's a, it's a direct command that God gives us in the Torah. It's a direct command. 
Now, where does this idea of tam, tamim, come from? Well, it, naturally, it comes from Yaakov Avinu, right? It comes from Yaakov, who was called tam. Now, I know that there are Mepharshim who try to make a distinction between these two words. I'll tell you this is Mamar Musgar, in parentheses, right? They say tam and tamim is not exactly the same thing, right? Tamim is uh, whole, uh, unblemished, that's tamim. But tam has another meaning, right? You know, remember that one of the four sons in the Haggadah was a tam. And his question was mazot. That was the question of the tam. So that tam and tamim might actually be two different things. But when it comes to Yaakov Avinu, I don't think that that is the case. So let's look at, at, uh, at Yaakov Avinu. It, the Pasuk Perikavhei says, Vayigdilu ha-narim, last week's parasha, right? Vayigdilu ha-narim, So Esav was a hunter. He was a man who was comfortable out in the field. Vayakov ishtam yoshev ohalim. So I don't know exactly, Yaakov ishtam, I don't know exactly what that means, what quality of Yaakov we are talking about. But I understand Yosheva Ohalim, he was more into learning than he was into hunting. And Esav was the opposite. He was more into hunting than he was into, than he was into, into learning. And then the next passage says, We have Yitzchak at Esav Kitzayit Befiv. Right? This is one of those cases where Yitzchak uh, doesn't seem to really know what's going on. Right? This was uh, uh, the. I, I, I mean, I understand that interpretation could lead you in different directions, but it would seem that Yitzchak, when it came to his own sons, Yaakov and Esav, didn't really have it perfectly clear who Esav was and who Yaakov was. So if you look at the Pasuk, you look at the Rashi, I'm sorry. See the Rashi? If you skip down in the Rashi, Yodeya uh, Tzayit. Uh, you see the second part of the Rashi? The fourth line in the Rashi. Latsud, uliramot aviv What was Esav? He was a hunter. But he was also deceitful. He lied. He used his mouth to fool his father. Right? He used his father. Uh, what's the halacha about giving maaser from salt? Of course, you don't have to give maaser from salt. Uh, so that's what he said. He sort of like wanted to give his father the impression that he was into it, when he actually didn't, uh, 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 didn't know what's going on. And Rashi then says, But every, a person who's not so sharp, but his, his lies are, are very obvious. He's a Tam. This is Yaakov. They were in the, he was sitting in the tent of Shem Eva, who represent the study, the yeshiva study, right? Study of Torah in the world of Avram Avinu. Okay? 
that's what that's what the uh, just a little bit of the Ramban. Let's we'll look at a little bit of the Ramban. Kitzayit b'fiv. You see the Ramban. Amrua mefarshim, amrua mefarshim. Ki yitain side b'fiv shel Yitzchak. What does it mean to say that Esav ki tzayid b'fiv? The Hebrew is a little hard to to chap. Tzayid is hunting. B'fiv is in his mouth. Hunting in his mouth. There's something missing in the sentence or the phrase that would make it clearer. This is a, a very unclear. So the Ramban says, Amru HaMeforshim. And he quotes the Ibn Ezra, the Radak, Yitain Tzayid Befiv Shal Yitzchak. So you have to finish the phrase. You have to add the word Yitain. He would put the what he hunted into Yitzchak's mouth. Into his mouth. Oh, Yavi. Or you could put in the word Yavi, he brought the food to his mouth, to the his mouth. And and the Pasuk leaves out the verb. Right? The Pasuk leaves out the, the verb for some reason. And then there are several examples where the Torah does this again. Look at the fourth line in the Ramban. It's possible to explain that the Pasuk says Yitzchak loved Esav because in his mouth, in Yitzchak's mouth, there was always like, you know, like something to eat. There was always a hamburger in his, in his mouth. All day long, he, Yitzchak, desired to eat and, and uh, to eat this great food. And the only one who could supply this great food was Esau, somehow. This is what, it was what the Rabban is trying to explain that, that it wasn't that he didn't know what was going on. It was rather that he just liked to eat. He liked the food that Esau could supply, which is something else. Vitamid who befif, he's always got food in his mouth. Lo yochal davar acher, he won't eat anything else except for the food that Esau supplies him with. lo kasher amar That's what it means when it says that Esau was yodea tzayin, that Esau was able to supply. So the emphasis is on the ta'ava, the desire that Yitzhak had to eat, but not on the quality of the person. Right? Somehow you, you could differentiate. You could differentiate between saying that Esau is a good guy, which is what it sounds like from the pasuk. Right? You see the pasuk? Yak, uh, V'yahav Yitzchak et Esav. Kitzayit b'fiv. Kitzayit b'fiv. So the Ramban says that means, it doesn't mean that Yitzchak loved Esav because of Esav, because Esav was a, a quality person. It says rather Yitzchak loved Esav because he kept feeding him. Right? Which had nothing to do, had nothing to do with the essence of Esav. But only with the accidental fact that Esau was a hunter. 
and was able to bring his father the hamburgers that he wanted to eat. So what? He was a good cook. Okay, but he was more than a cook because he had to go and get it. Uh, so that that's what he did. So. I mean, how come? I mean, maybe we'll get to that. I, I, I mean, you know. <laughs> you know, you can either say, you say that, no, this was also an attempt to transmit the spiritual value to his son Asa. And that the Ta'ava was a way of showing Asa that you could overcome being Asa. You like that? No. Okay. <laughs> so I'll try a different one. I'll try to. <laughs> I mean, once you're like out of the text, once you're out of the text, you could do a, no, anything goes. Such a strong presentation of Yitzhak, with, you know, with the food in his mouth all the time. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, so we have now two, two points of reference. We have the Pasuk in Dvarim. Pasuk in Dvarim, Tamim Tiyem Hashem, look at that. There's a mitzvah to be Tamim, right? And then we have Yaakov, who's called an Ishtam. Yaakov is called an Ishtam, right? And, and the, according to Rashi, according to Rashi, Rashi explains the Ishtam, right? Eino Baki Bikol Eile. You see the Rashi, four lines from the bottom of the Rashi. Eino Baki Bikol Eile. He's not a good, he's not good at, uh, at lying, at cheating, at all of this. Ela, Ela Kelibo Kain Piv. What he thinks in his heart, that's what he says. He's like, you know, like uh, that kind of person. Mishe no Kharif Lirabot Karuitam. Somebody who is not very sharp and able to lie and cheat, you know, very uh, 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 professionally. He's called a Tam. That person is called Tam. So again, according to Rashi, Yaakov Ishtam, he was naive, he was pure, he was simple, he did what he was supposed to do, he learned Torah all the time. But Yaakov, the continuation, Yaakov loved Esav Kitzayat Befib. Zayat Befib means that, that Esav, according to the Ramban, that Esav uh, uh, fed uh, a desire that Yitzhak had for good food. That's a desire that he had. And so he gave him good, good food. That's what, that's what we have. Now, it's interesting, I feel, it's interesting that, Avra, that Yaakov, even though he's called an Ishtam, he's not the only one of the Avot who is referred to as Tam. For example, for example, Perak Yudzayim Pasuk Aleph, see the next, the next one. Vayi Avram ben Tishim Shana Vetesha Shanim. Avram was 99 years old. Vayera Hashem El Avram. God appeared to Avram. Vayoba Elav Ani Kel Shedai. Gave him the name, told him who it is. He introduced himself, so to speak. God introduced himself to Avram. Avram and said, Hitalech lefanai veyetamim. Hitalech lefanai veyetamim. And this was a problem. This Hitalech lefanai differentiating Avraham from Noach, right? Noach, Avraham. 
So in any event, what does this mean, Hayyat Amin? When God said to Avram Avinu, Hayyat Amin, so Rashi says, You see the Rashi? Uh, the third line in the Rashi. At the end of the line, the words Ketagumo. Ketagumo means Unculus. Right? Before Rashi, there was only one Targum. It was Unculus. Sometimes Rashi quotes the Targum on the Vim and calls it Targum Yonatan. Always calls it Targum Yonatan. But Targum is always Unculus. So Rashi says, Kitagumo, Plach Kodamai. Plach in Aramaic is Lavod. And Kodamai Lifanai. Which could be to Davin, to serve in the Beit HaMikdash, to bring Korbanot. But, in, in, but according to Rashi, what is Hitalech Lifanai? You know that Rashi didn't like anthropomorphisms. Well, not only Rashi, but Rashi didn't like that. And so, hitalech lefanai seems anthropomorphic. Because the only way you could walk before God is if God could walk behind you. Like, you know, it's sort of like saying something about God that you don't want to say, which is that God is contained, there are boundaries. Here is God, so here's not God. So Rashi doesn't like that. So he changes it according to Unculus. Unculus was a Tana. Ungulus is a Tana, and Rashi, of course, doesn't have to validate a Tanaitic statement. It's self-validating. Anything a Tana said, you know, has to be taken very seriously. So he says, Go before me, serve me. Be do mitzvahs, and bake ba'avodati. Cleave to my service. That's what Rashi says. And now, ve'yetamim, ve'yetamim, right at the end of the pasuk, you should be tamim, afzet zivui achar zivui. This also is a command following a command, right? The first command, italech lefanai. The second command, ve'yetamim, afzot zivui achar zivui. Hayeshaleim bekol nisyon notai. Be perfect in every way that I test you. Everywhere that I test you, this idea, this idea that we are tested all the time, tested meaning there are things happen to us that we have to overcome, which don't really make sense. They don't really make sense. Like Abraham Avinu came to Eretz Canaan, and then by Hira Avbaretz, he was forced to leave. But that doesn't make sense. God told him to go to Eretz Canaan, so he should be able to live there. I mean, that would be so. So suddenly. A, a, a bad situation is imposed about Avram Avinu, one that could lead to all kinds of uh, uh, negative results, but he came through it, right? That's called the Nisayon. That's called the Nisayon, and that continues, I wouldn't say continues to plague us, but I would say that most people have Nisayonot, right? Nisayonot, which to them, to the person we're talking about, seem tremendous. Uh, 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 Hard to understand, even though for other people they may seem relatively simple or, or small, nevertheless, each person in making the evaluation for himself can see the, 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 the terrible things that happen as being very serious. So that's what, that's what Rashi says. Tzivu yachar tzavit tzivu, 
And what is the tzivui achar tzivui? Serve me, do the mitzvot, take care of what you're supposed to take care of, and don't allow the negative situations that occur to every single person at every community in, in the reality to dominate your thinking about things, right? Remain tamin. Remain tamim. Ulefi medrasho, Rashi, right? Sometimes, remember, Rashi is, uh, is basically interested in pshat. But sometimes he feels that the interpretation of the pasuk as Chazal interpreters in a non-pshat way is necessary for us, either educationally or practically or pragmatically. So he says, Umedrasho, right? Dabar Acher. I want you to serve me, to be devoted to me, by accepting the obligation of the mitzvah of circumcision. And this will make you into a tamim. In other words, there's a physical aspect to this notion of tmimim. Shekozman sheha'orla b'cha, as long as the foreskin is still with you, you are seen as possessing a blemish, a physical blemish in the eyes of God. Rashi, that's what Rashi says. So Rashi says, God says to Avraham, do what I tell you to do. Serve me in the way that I tell you to serve me. I mean, this was, after all, really the first mitzvah of the, of the mitzvah of the things that we call a mitzvah, that uh, circumcision, right? The first mitzvah could have been lech lecho. But, you know, that's different, as, as we have pointed out. He says, I see you as being a, 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 a blemished. Alternatively, this is already the third interpretation, right? The third interpretation. He says, this is like a drosha. You, you, you're missing five uh, limbs, five limbs which are uh, not under your control. Right? You can't do anything. Your eyes, your ears, right? Your eyes, your ears, your head. Uh, so God says, I'll add the letter A. So you, it'll give you some kind of control. Then you'll be a real person. Now not only, it's not only the circumcision makes you a real person, but control on involuntary, uh, involuntary action that makes you a real person. So we see, we see again, that when Avram Avinu, look at the Rashi, you could summarize by saying, God said, I want you to be I want you to be from. I want you to 
As Ungulus said, Plach Kodamai, I want you to serve God, I want you to do it. In order to be able to serve God, I'm giving you a mitzvah. tamim. which mitzvah am I giving you? The mitzvah of Tmimut, which is the mitzvah of circumcision. Right? So that Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu was called Tamim because he circumcised himself and his family. Right? That's Avram Avinu. When it comes to Yitzchak, right? I'm sorry, when it comes to Noach, you see the next source, Eilatel Dot Noach, Noach is Sadiq, Tamim, Hayabidoratam. Rashi doesn't tell us anything. Rashi doesn't help us. What could Tamim Hayabidoratam mean? If it's the Tamim of Avraham, so it means that he was whole somehow. He was, he was, I mean, it's not clear. Not clear, Rashi doesn't help us. Okay? Now when it comes, that's Abraham. And Noah, Noah comes before Abraham. But then Yitzchak, right? We know Yitzchak, we saw it last week. Vayera love Hashem. Rashi says, God says to Yitzchak, don't do it. Don't do what your father did. Don't go down to Mitzrayim like your father went down to Mitzrayim. The situation is the same. Rashi, Rashi, this is a, oh, we saw it last week, but it's interesting that Yitzchak was called Olatmima. And Olatmima is an Ola, an animal that can be sacrificed. The halacha is that an animal that can be sacrificed, uh, when it is sacrificed, can't be taken outside of the curtains surrounding the Mishkan. But when they came to, we came to Eretz Yisrael, when the Jews came to Eretz Yisrael, it was permitted to sacrifice on, in a high place that you could build in your backyard. Everybody could have a mikdash. Everybody could have a place for sacrifices. Shutei chutz. These are sacrifices that are given outside, outside of the Beit. There was no Beit HaMikdash. But when the Beit HaMikdash was built, and even before the Beit HaMikdash was built, even before that time, uh, uh, it was prohibited to sacrifice outside of the Beit HaMikdash. So that when the Medrash says, right, Medrash says, that's before they built the Beit HaMikdash, and Olat could be in different places in Eretz Israel, but not outside of Eretz Israel, not outside of Eretz Israel. So somehow the Medrash says that Olat Mima, Olat Mima has an inordinate, unexpected uh, uh, connection to Eretz Israel, and that was Yitzchak. Yitzchak had this special connection to. Uh, so. If I go through this again, like if I go through some of these ideas, it seems to me that the word tamim, as it applies to Abraham, the word tamim, as it applies to Abraham, uh, means do what God wants you to do. Right? Titalech lefanai, plach kodamai, Uncle says, Rashi quotes, 
That's what Tamim means. For Yitzchak, Tamim means you can't do whatever you want to do. You can't go wherever you want to go. Because your status prevents it. So that part of, so these things are important for us because they created, Avraham and Yitzchak created the genetic makeup of the nation of Israel. And the genetic makeup of the, of the, of the people of Israel is that they are uh, uh, aware of and accepting of the idea of hayetamim, that mitzvahs is what, are what brings you doing, what God wants you to do is what brings you to hithalech lefanai. That's Avram Avinu. Whereas Yitzchak, Yitzchak said that tamim, olat mimah, Yitzchak olat mimah, means you can't do whatever you want to do. These are the two aspects that the Torah imposes upon us that we were prepared to accept at Har Sinai. And the preparation for accepting that was the kind of the genetic input. I mean, I'm using those words, but I don't mean it. I mean, whatever it was, the, the, the input of Abraham on the one hand and Yitzchak on the other hand is what created Abraham the mitzvot say and Yitzchak the mitzvot lotaseh right, created a people that saw that as being reasonable. It's reasonable that there should be mitzvot, that it's reasonable that there should be prohibitions. The question remains, a question remains, is what exactly, what exactly was Yaakov's contribution to the notion of tmimut after Avram and Yitzchak? But before we get to the answer, before we get to that answer, I want to just read one more pasuk. If you turn the page, Vayomer Yaakov. This is a pasuk in Vayechi. Vayomer Yaakov Paro. Paro says to Yaakov, "Like, tell me something about. Give me a little bit of your uh, biography. You know, like an interview on one of these TV programs." Vayomer Yaakov El Paro. You may name me Gurayish Loshim Ma'atana. I'm 130 years, I'm 130 years old. That's what he said. He says, I really had a miserable and terrible life. Ma'at, ma'at, he says. Uh, he, I lived less than my father and my grandfather. I have not lived, I have not lived as long as my father, a grandfather, in the years where they lived. So the Ramban, the Ramban says this, Ramban does I don't get this. What is the, why did he ask him about whether he's old, how old he is, and why does the Torah report how old he is? He says, Ma musar hu el hamelech. What are we to derive from the fact that Yaakov is complaining to Paro about what a hard life he had? What does that have to do with anything? Ma ta'am lemor velo yisigu et yubei shnei chayei Why does he tell the king, Paro, 
that he didn't live as long as his father and his grandfather. After all, ki ulai od because he's still alive, isn't he? I mean, he's 130 years old, but he's not dead. He may live a long time, and then he will live longer than his father and his grandfather. So what's the what's the point? The Ramban says, Listen to this. You know, this is just cute. That Yaakov Avinu really looked old. So Paro looked at this guy. He looked like he was Mount Rushmore or something. He, he looked as old as anybody he had ever seen in his life, according to the Ramban. It doesn't say that in the Chumash, but the Ramban says it. They, they, their lives were, they lived less, less years. So Paro said, how old are you? He was like really amazed. I never saw anybody like you. I never saw anybody who looked as old as you do in all my kingdom. He says, so Yaakov said to him, no, I'm only 130 years old. And this is, uh, there's not so many, not so many years. So my father and grandfather, they lived more than 130 years. So it's just an accident. So this possibly remains a kind of a mystery. It's like sometimes, you know, you, there's a question and an answer. Question and then the answer is given. And you know, next year when you learn the parasha again, the question will still be there, but the answer will disappear. This is the kind of answer that is not going to be so satisfying. But the question remains, why did he do that? Why did, uh, why did Yaakov, why did Yaakov talk to the paro, tell him how old he was and how he's not, he looks older than he really is and how unhappy he is about the life he led? I mean, what has that got to do with a conversation with Paro, Melech, Mitzrayim? So here, there's a section here with, uh, from the Shemi Shmuel, which I'd like to try to, uh, we'll read a little bit and then try to summarize the idea. Again, the Shemi Shmuel says this. So as I just remember the points. Right, this Tomim Tiyem Hashem Lokecho, Baposukim Devarim. Then there's Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov. The one Pasuk I left out was Eov. Noah and Eov are the two non Jews that are called Tamim. But that's a story for another time. Now let's look at, let's look at, uh, at the Shemishvur. Binyan Yaakov Avinu Alava Shalom, Shayat Sarich. So Yaakov Avinu had two difficult, there were two difficult aspects of his life. One had to do with Esav, his brother, who said he was going to kill him. And that was, that was a problem. And you know, when he came back to Eretz Kedad, he faced off against, against Yitzchak with the angel, he fought with the angel, and, and somehow he got through it. But he didn't get through it uh, until he had run away from Eretz Canaan to go to live with Lavan. Now, in, when he was with Lavan, 
Terrible things happened to him. He wanted to marry Rachel, he married Leah, he wanted to work, he didn't get paid, he, he didn't steal, he didn't take it. And then finally he, is, he left uh, divine command, God told him to leave, and told Esav, told Lavan, I'm sorry, told Lavan that he's leaving and don't bother him, don't do anything. And then he ran after him and he said, these all the idols, right? It, it was Yaakov. Yaakov is a very, uh, a very easy to appreciate Yaakov because he lived a regular life, which was full of misery and joy. Right? There was misery and joy. It's a very regular, very regular kind of life. It's very hard to be uh, very sympathetic to Yitzchak, who was not in the world. Right? You know, he was uh, someplace else. He was not, not with the regular people. So, this, so the Shemish rule says, Ayat Tzarech, the middle of the first line. Tzarech Miruk, Miruk is purification. Like, you know, this idea that Yisurim, uh, uh, affliction, somehow purifies, right? Purifies the person. Miruk Be'esav Uvelavan, they were the, the terrible times of, of, of uh, Yaakov's life. Kvar Abmanu. You have to understand that Yaakov inherited the uh, midah, the, uh, the nature of Abraham and the nature of Yitzchak, which was a new idea in the world, right? We know that you had to learn that. When Sarah didn't have a, uh, uh, have a child, she offered Avraham, and he took it, obviously, uh, her maid, Hagar, as his wife. In, in other words, for the offer was based on the idea that children were illegal, uh, are defined legally, right? Not defined biologically. But Avraham learned, and Sarah learned, that the biological uh, uh, result was of greater significance. It had to be a biological child of Avram and Sarah, and not a, a, a like a legal, not a legal child. So Avram, Yaakov inherited these qualities of Avraham and Yitzchak. Alkein mitzad midat Avraham shebo midat hachesed. Everybody knows that Abraham equals chesed in the list of svirot, right? The fourth, at the lowest svirot, start from chesed, gevur, teferet. That's Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. You have to give the Sheikh Mishmur, that's how he talked, right? He thought that was reasonable. Shavuot midat chesed nitzraf bebeit lavan, omitzad mitzat Yitzchak, shavuot nitzraf al yedei esav. In other words, Chesed, uh, yeah, Yaakov wanted to do, wanted to do Chesed. He inherited that from his father. But, I'm sorry, Yaakov wanted to do Chesed, he, he inherited that from his grandfather. But in the house of Lavan, in the house of Lavan, he couldn't do any Chesed. He was sort of enslaved. Right? Remember the, the Drosha, what we say in Pesach, Harami, Ovedavi. Right? There was, there was a, 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 he couldn't be, he couldn't be that. He couldn't be the man of chesed. 
And then when it comes to Pachad Yitzchak, Gvura, Yitzchak had a certain kind of Gvura, but with Esav, he couldn't act it out. He ran away. He ran away from Eretz Kedon, from his family, because he was afraid of, of Esav. So that's what this, uh, this line means. Al-Kocha mitzad midat Avraham shebo midat chesed Avraham equals chesed. Nitzraf bevet Lavan. So in the house of Lavan, he was, he was oppressed. And Yitzchak, Yitzchak, who inherited Gvura, right? Esav overwhelmed him. And it says further that Yaakov was a Tam. Isn't it true that the word Tam? is applied to people who are like a little dumb. And don't have, don't have proper seichel. V'sheilat ha-tam What's the sheila? Mazot? Right, what's going on? What's going on here? Acha perush, da'acha k'tiv, ishtam, hainu shaya moshel al ha-midah, al ha-tam shebo. So the, the Shemesh Bull says, Says, "V'Yakov Ishtam." You see the pasuk. Pasuk comes out. It's in the middle of pa- the first page. Ve'Gdula Darim Ve'Yuesav Ish Yodeat Zayid Ish Yodeat Zayid Ish V'Yakov Ishtam. But it doesn't say. It doesn't say Yakov Tam. It says Yakov Ishtam. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, we could say that the, the word ish is used as a possessive. He possesses the quality of tam. That's what the Shemesh Mishmuel says. Ish uh, He possesses the quality of a hunter, which is different than saying he is a hunter. Right? There is somebody who knows how to hunt and somebody who is a hunter. I mean, I guess. That they could be, you could make that distinction, right? Like, like the deep analysis of a, a person may be different than his abilities, right? You know, you could be a, you know, you could be a good carpenter, but deep down you want to kill people with your hammers. So that's that's what he says. He says, "Arapeush uh, dahacha ksev." He says the correct interpretation, this three, four, five, six, seven, seventh line, beginning with the words Acha Perush, Dahacha, Ksiv, Ishtam. In this posuk that we're talking about, it says Ishtam Hainu, which means Shayam Moshel Al Midat Hatam Shebo, that Yaakov ruled over the Midah of Tam. He was the owner of the Tam inside of him. It's not that the Tam inside of him controlled him, but he controlled it, right? That's always, those are questions when the people have habits or they, they do the wrong thing. Like, so you always have these questions about what's controlling what? Are you controlling your desire or is the desire controlling you? So Rashi says, Midat HaTam Shebo. Rashi, Nishem Yishmuel. Shum Bashmata, right? Next line. Ulufidar Kenu, 
the third word, the line is two, four, six, eight, ten, nine. Nine or ten, depending on where you start counting. What does this all mean? That Yaakov Avinu was able to be Tam in the manner of the Pasuk in Dvarim. Right? Tamim Hashem That as far as Yaakov Avinu was concerned, he was totally, he was inconsequential when it came up against the divine authority. And, and when he stood before God, he had no particular existence. Right? Adata. Demara Azla, the Chazal said that sometimes animals follow the masters. Out, you know, the master walks, the animal walks. Moshe Amru, and this is what they said. Elu b'nei Adam Shem Arumim bedat u'mesimim atzmam kebeimot. We're talking about people who are very uh, um, underhanded and act like behemot. Af Adam. Af Shetiv Oshel Yaakov. Here, you see this line? I'll tell you where we are. Two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven lines from the bottom of this column. Shetiv Oshel Yaakov Hayalasot Kol Inyanav Baskel Vedat Shleima. Right? Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu Chesed Gevura. What's Yaakov Avinu? Tiferes. What is Tiferes? Tiferes is Torah. What is Torah? Torah is Seichel. Torah is Seichel. So it says, so the Shevish Mul says, even though it is true that Yaakov Avinu did everything based on Seichel and knowledge and understanding, Bitel et dato ledato yidborach. He canceled out his desire for HaKodesh Baruch Hu, in favor of HaKodesh Baruch Hu, V'lezeh hayahat siruf v'amiruk b'veit lavan ha'arami sh'u'efech mitat atam. And the house of Lavan was the place where he was purified in this way because he was sh'u'epuch mitat atam k'moshe perish rashi kol she'eno kharif l'ramot karui tam. Okay, I'll try to summarize. Try to summarize what he said. We said Avram was called a Tam, and Yitzchak was called a Tamim, right? Olat Mima. So, what was Yaakov's contribution to the nature of Tamim or Tmimut? What was Yaakov's uh, uh, contribution? Yaakov's contribution was this that he lived in a place, he lived in a way in his life which uh, would push away for, for most people, would deny them the pleasure of tmimut. They, they, they would not be able to say, well, whatever God did is good. Whatever's happening to me is the way it should be. That kind of tmimut was, the, was possessed by Yaakov Avinu. That kind of tmimut was possessed by Yaakov Avinu. And he got that 
because in his lifetime he underwent these great difficulties 20 years in the house of Lavan and then running away from Eretz Canaan, running away by God told Yitzchak stay but Yaakov had to leave had to leave it even though even though Yaakov he himself was Sikhli right he was Yoshev Ohalim he studied Torah he was like a of the person, of the thoughtful, the thoughtful person, but when it came to the notion of timimut, of purity in your relationship to the divine, Yaakov Avinu had it. Yaakov Avinu had it, so that Abraham, Abraham was tamim, but he was not. He was not confronted by by terrible uh, events in his own life. That would have caused him to to, to doubt to be mut. The same thing is true about Yitzchak. Yaakov created the basis of Tmimut for the nation, because in the history of Am Yisrael there are always difficulties, there are always problems, there are always things that drive you away, that drive you away from the Tmimut of of the desire, and also. It was Yaakov Avinu that made it possible, ultimately, for the Torah to say, Tamim tiyem Hashem kind of a tzivui, kind of a command. How could, how could the Torah say that? Well, only because of Yaakov Avinu. Because of Yaakov Avinu, who was an Ishtam, who had the possession of Tmimut, he held on to it. It was his, that even, even the... The, uh, the punishment that came to Yaakov Avinu, the miruk, this yisurim, these afflictions which were purifying, which would deny you ordinarily, would deny you ordinarily the devotion to the divine, and to the mitzvot, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu overcame that. He overcame seichel. He overcame understanding. He was able to be tam, even in the house of Lavan, he was even he was able to be tam, even when confronting Esau when he came back when he came back to to Eretz, Eretz Israel. So when Yaakov Avinu says to Paro, when Yaakov Avinu says to Paro, he says, "I was ma'atviraim. They are less, but mainly." My life is full of terrible things, terrible, terrible events. What is he saying, according to the Shemesh Mul? What is he saying to Paro? He's saying that I've learned to be tamim in every situation. And that's what I, that's my message to Paro as the people that I brought with me to Eretz Mitzrayim become enslaved. Little by little they become enslaved. In, in Eretz Mitzrayim, they will maintain the Tmimut that I have injected into their, into their DNA. So, the... Uh, okay, I could stop here. <laughs> okay.